Hello and welcome to the Hot House Transplants podcast. I am your host, Matt Duffy. Thank you so much for joining me today. We are talking with the men and women who contributed to the Hot House Transplants book released back in 1997, over 25 years ago. You can see our website, hothousetransplants.com. That's where all the episodes are going to be released, the past ones, the future ones. I would encourage you, if you haven't, go back and listen to the first couple of episodes of the podcast. It's going to tell you a lot about why we're doing the podcast, and especially it's going to tell you about what the original Hot House Transplants book was about and why we did it in the first place. I hope you enjoy this episode, and thank you so much again for listening. So thank you. I really appreciate you guys joining me for this. This is this is kind of a thrill because you guys are kind of one of the uh, all-star or two of the all-stars from the original book. And so it's been really neat to be able to catch up and see 25 years later where everybody's at. So yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure. If you, if you wouldn't mind, what I'd love to hear is, can you just share maybe a little bit, like a snapshot of what your guys' homeschool experience was like Nothing too crazy, just some of the, you know, for me and for others, what did it kind of look like for you guys? And meaning us being homeschooled, not us turning around and homeschooling our kids. Yeah, yeah. we're going to get to that. Yeah, I want to hear about you guys as you were raised in that context first and what that was like. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, my parents decided to homeschool my siblings and me in 1981. My father knew a couple of people in the military who were doing this crazy thing of homeschooling because it kept their kids from being bumped out of school systems every two years when they got deployed or moved to a new base. And so he brought the idea up with my mom and my mom was actually a certified teacher. She'd been a substitute teacher in the schools before we were born in, uh, I think, North Carolina and Virginia. And so of course, mom's like, oh, wow. Okay. So like school at home, that means we got to go get the desks and the chalkboard and I need a desk. And she was thinking completely inside the box at first. So she actually bought us a canned curriculum. Uh, I won't say who from, I'm not against them. Some people benefit from them, um, but mom got it in and my sister was four. So she wasn't actually ready to start formal schooling yet. My brother was, let's see, he would have been in third grade and I was going into fifth grade. And we got the box curriculum in and opened it all up. Very excited. Oh, yay, we're going to homeschool. And my mom quickly realized my brother was way past the math levels and he needed to jump up a grade or two. Uh, but he was going to struggle a little bit with the English. So she wanted to put him back a grade. She called the company and they said, oh, we don't do that. And she's like, well, I mean, you, we, they took the tests, you know, where their strengths are. They're, well, yeah, we know, but we really have to keep them in their grade level because everything gets graded every week. You mail it in, we grade it, we mail it back, et cetera. And at the end, you get a beautiful transcript. Mom was like, well, okay. So she decided to just try it. In the meantime, my father was in the Marshall Islands looking for Amelia Earhart's airplane for one of his books. So we had only ham radio to talk to him. For that could be one of the weirdest things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty crazy. So, so there's an example. There's a story there that sounds fantastic, but we'll, we'll, we'll go back. I'm sorry, go ahead. So, so mom didn't have any of the, the, the second you know, spouse, the other parent there to support her during these first six weeks. And the truant officer started knocking on the door every day because he said, your children are truant. And my mom was really savvy. And she said, I'm a certified teacher and I know the law and under Virginia law, as it currently stands, I am allowed to teach my own children in my home with my teaching certificate. And he was like, well, okay, fine. But he would keep coming back. Cause he thought if he just intimidated her long enough, she quit. Well, she didn't. And my dad got home and the truant officer came the next day. And my dad answered the door with a big beard. Cause he'd been out in the Marshall islands. And, and he's like, Sir, I just want to congratulate you on your wife. I, you know, most women would have caved after two or three days of me banging on the door and she didn't. And she actually really does know the law. I do need to track your kids. I need them to be tested. And he's like, yeah, no, fine. We'll do that at the end of the year. No problem. But the funny thing was that within those six weeks, mom had gone, I can't do box curriculum. I know my kids have different needs. And yeah. my dad said, honey, you're a teacher. Just build the curriculum each child is going to need. And that is what she did. And so I got put behind in math because I needed more help. My brother got put way ahead in math, did very well. And he ended up graduating high school at 15 and getting a full ride scholarship to college at 16. And he was already ahead of 
most of the computer sciences, they had to actually create classes for him because he, my parents just let him run. They just gave him a computer and were like, go for it, you know, figure it all out. And, and I got a full scholarship and, and ended up graduating with my degree in English and creative writing. My sister tried a semester of college and went, nope, not for me, not interested. I like graphics design. She had already designed and laid out a bunch of my father's books for publication. When the publisher found out she was 15 years old, he was like, how is this possible? And my dad said, she, she knows what she's doing. She's looked at books. She knows how they should be laid out. And she just taught herself the program. So that was kind of the hallmark of our homeschooling experience was try the, the, the normal way, I guess you could call it of following the rules and, and then realizing that wasn't a good fit for our family, particularly because we traveled whenever dad flew overseas, we got to go all around the world with him. And it was a great way to grow up, just really freeing. We learned everywhere we went and, uh, and really enjoyed it. So in the background of that, was there a, um, a particular motivation that caused your parents to want to homeschool? Like, was there a trigger or was it just because of the function of the family dynamic and then seeing your brother needing different kinds of educational help and just that working together or was there something else? Yeah, there's a couple of factors. One was my brother was a troublemaker in public school that he got into the principal's office constantly because he was bored and he finished the assignment in five minutes and then want to chat with everybody else in the class. They couldn't make him understand that you're not allowed to do that. And so finally, my mom was like, you know, could you just bump him up a grade? And they said, no, he asked, he can't do that. You can't go ahead in one subject. So she started thinking, Hmm, that's, that's not a good fit. And then, of course, my father being an aviation historian, he got invited to to fly with air forces all over the world. So he'd be off in Italy one week and Brazil and Chile. And he's like, boy, I would really love it if the kids could go with us on these trips, because this is an education in itself. Oh, yeah. Fantastic one. Exactly. And so they actually tried it. They took us out of school for two weeks. The teachers had to give us all our assignments in a box. And they said, just as long as they finish everything, by the time you get back, they'll be on track with everybody else. So we were out for two weeks. We would work in the car while mom and dad were driving for a couple of hours, maybe an hour and a half. And we finished. And my dad was like, but you can't possibly be finished. You've only been doing this an hour and a half. School's eight hours. And I was like, well, I didn't have to wait in line for lunch. And I didn't have to, he didn't have to wait for the slow kid to finish the math. And my dad's, you know, all the little wheels started turning and he was like, Oh, and then he remembered those families that had been in the military and had homeschooled to keep their kids out of getting, you know, in and out of school systems. And that's what really lit a fire under them was, hey, we could travel. The kids could go as fast as they need to or as slow as they want to and need to. And and we can just build an experience that's better for our family. And so the irony was we got back after the two weeks, handed in our work. And the principal called my parents and said, your kids are a week ahead of everybody else. And that's demoralizing. And <laughs> they were like, but, but how is that possible? Right. And he said, well, right. they didn't have to wait in line for lunch, for the bathroom, for recess. You know, there's a structure to schooling that you can pair away if you're an individual child at home. And we were like, aha, yeah. light bulb moment. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. That, that's fantastic. Matt, what about you? Well, m- my experience was sort of similar to Jenny's. Um, My mom had been a certified teacher in the inner city in Birmingham uh, when my dad was in dental school. And that was, she was kind of supporting the family through that. And so when I was born, she quit and and was a stay-at-home mom. But it was funny. We lived out in the country in uh, rural Alabama. And we had a a house that was plenty big to to homeschool in, but because my mom had been a certified teacher and school was school, there was a little out out building called, it was a quail house. They used to raise uh, quails on the property, you know, several years before. So my parents renovated that little building and turned it into a little schoolhouse because they wanted us, we had to go to school, right? So they renovated the the little outbuilding and we had desks and we had blackboards and we had a little American flag on the wall and for, for pledging allegiance every day. And it was just like a little, little school. And we had a box curriculum that my mom taught out of. And of course that worked for a few months and then it just kind of was thrown out the window and we kind of did whatever we wanted after that, because we realized like uh, Jenny talked about, you don't really have to, 
school is not a, a place. It's not, um, it's not a, uh, a, a sort of a liturgy that's been given to us by uh, the, the uh, 19th century industrialist. It's actually, it, 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 your, the point of homeschooling is to educate and education happens all the time. Uh, it's kind of like the, the sort of the Hebraic model of, you know, when you're walking by the way, when you're rising up, you lie down, there, it's, just, it's just a constant, uh, constant thing. It's a constant part of your life. So we did the box curriculum for a while, and then we kind of, my mom stuck with the box curriculum just for a particular few subjects. But what inevitably, inevitably happens is because the, the, your child has interests uh, in different topics, they yep. tend to graze and, and go off in their own direction. And uh, this is even before the internet, of course. Now it's, you, can, you have all of the knowledge of the, the accumulated knowledge of the world at your fingertips on a particular subject. You can just go down these rabbit trails and just, just camp, camp for years, you know, and just read yep. everything and watch everything. And that's, it, that's essentially what we did in our own uh, interest. My parents, uh, I was interested in history. And so my parents got me subscriptions to um, Time Life books, a series on different uh, American hi uh, time, history time periods. And so I just kind of delve into that and just started reading and, and camping in that subject. And also later with politics, because I was just interested in that. And I liked biographies so that they, they just gave me the tools. And I just kept reading and, and learning. And then they would use the box to try to keep me focused on the areas I knew they knew I was going to be tested in, in order to to graduate. Now in Alabama at that time, homeschooling was illegal. Right. Uh, kids from our generation, you know, we remember when it was not uh, the subject of you know talk shows and and everybody, and it was the the cool thing to do. It was it was very much illegal. I was not allowed to play in the front yard, which faced the road until three o'clock in the afternoon because my yeah. parents worried about the truant officer seeing us or parents reporting us as uh, not being in school. Yeah. And uh, so I remember I remember that very vividly. It was only it was also a lonely time if you wanted uh, socialization with other homeschoolers because there was only one other family that was homeschooling uh, at the time and that we were aware of in, in the entire county where we lived. Uh, thankfully, there was a Christian school uh, that was uh, a few miles away that that uh, allowed us to play sports with their team during high school. So we did. We were actually able to graduate with this uh, uh, Christian school uh, class uh, and do the whole cap and gown, which is, of course, another big, a big deal uh, at that time. But, yeah, it was I, I think our generation was was kind of. The, the transition of just breaking out of just the old mold of what you're raised to think in education is and what you have to have and all of this stuff, um, which is, it's funny because our grandparents' generation, you know, my grandfather was in school in rural North Carolina and tobacco country. And so he was in a one room schoolhouse for most, most of his, uh, his education with a, kids from the community of all different ages and groups. So this whole idea of having this big high school or this big middle school where you go to and you're age segregated uh, and you're and you're stuck in this this uh, this track was was something that that it, for a lot of people of my grandparents' generation they didn't even have because of just the just the, the economies of scale. Yep. Yep. Um, but what we did is, is homeschooling is we just kind of went back to that that uh, thinking outside of the box. Uh, which is, is, I think, what a lot of parents discovered during the pandemic is that they can do that. Now, we do have something that we didn't have uh, being homeschooled, and that was the accumulated knowledge of all mankind in this thing right here. Um, all knowledge. Right, all, right. Knowledge, you know, yeah. this is like one of the, this smartphones are like the worst named things ever, like social media. It's very much antisocial and yeah. smartphones don't make us really any smarter. Um, uh, one guy was a friend of mine uh, who was also homeschooled said, yeah, we, we have this, this device, which gives us all access to all knowledge. And what do we use it for? And to send each other pictures of cats. Right. So it's, it's really funny uh, how that works out, but but I think, yeah, we saw this in Africa when we lived, uh, we can talk about that later, but when we were in Africa, we saw how the British 
uh, colonial model of education was still very much in effect, even though places like Kenya had been independent for 50 years of the British Empire, yet they were still, the kids were still wearing, in fact, the same uniform, the patterns of school uniforms that they had been given in the teens 20s. and 20s, right, the 1920s. They wouldn't even change the uniform because if they did that, it would be like their kids couldn't be educated if they went off, they veered off the, the path just slightly, even in terms of school uniforms. Mm -hmm. So I think that our, the first generation of homeschoolers had to sort of break out of this, the way of thinking that this is how education has to be. This is how kids have to be raised. If they, if you don't raise them exactly like this, they're going to, you know, become uh, delinquents and and fill the prison system. So um, that that was the the pioneer uh, phase of of homeschooling. And you described a lot of the things I remember were being discussed at the time because my mom and I had the same discussion about how, and part of the reason I think it's so good to catch up with people like you guys is because people don't realize it was illegal when we were starting out. People don't realize there were serious things going on. People were having their kids taken away by social services. Yes. They were terrified. And I think right now that is such a foreign concept. Yeah. And so it's really interesting to say, no, you don't understand. It's, it's a very different world now than it was then. And, and there's a lot of people that paved the way so that you can now have the freedom to do what you're doing with homeschooling. But it also seems like it was, and I think you both have kind of described this, there was a lot of time of sort of evaluation, of investigation, um, experimentation. Yes. It sounds like you both had the same thing where there was this sense of, we don't have to do this this way. People don't necessarily work that way. Let's begin to think much broader and, and let's look at these people as individuals and find out what they need. And then the sky's the limit, really, you know, imagine it and let's try to make it happen. Exactly. Which is, which is yeah. So you also described a couple of things that I think back when back when we first came up with the idea for the Hot House Transplants book was there were even in that time, a lot of people who were saying, you're homeschooled. How's that going to work for you? I mean, how are you going to get a good job? How are you like, do, do you know how to relate to non-homeschoolers? Do you what if you wanted to do sports? And in 25, 30 years ago, there was some, there was still a lot of validity to some of that. So um, what military, did you getting into the military, for instance, you know, getting, yeah, that yep. was, that was a big deal. So what were some of the biggest things that you guys experienced, maybe in your late teens, as you were looking ahead of, of sort of coming out? And I know both of you, I think you, you started college earlier as well, or you were doing college classes. Full enrollment. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. So as you were moving out of being sort of in the homeschool world and you were moving into sort of the college career part of your life, what were some of those negative things you were hearing from people? Yeah. Do uh, you know, uh, I, I really don't, I don't remember, maybe it was more negative, but I honestly don't remember by the time we were getting out of high school, there was never this concern about, well, are we going to make it? Uh, because, I mean, the whole what we had just done is spent several years uh, doing things that we were not supposed to be able to do. And so by the time, you know, we were graduating, it was just not in the cards that, oh, well, we didn't go through this normal pat pattern. I this didn't track. go to prom, darn. Right, you know, I, it, it's, it, I didn't... Well, actually, you know, what's so funny is, is that uh, you mentioned prom. I went to something like three or four proms because I was invited by friends who were in school. Yep. Yep. Who several different schools. I didn't just go to one school and that was my tribe. I had friends in many different schools. So I got invited to this prom and this prom and this prom. I had, I remember a lot of prom experiences <laughs> Uh, so I, I actually had it better in that sense because I could just float around and and uh, and and, uh, and experience all those things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I we we were not told that we were not supposed to be able to do these things. Well, I, I interrupt though because yeah. my, I got interviewed by the newspaper when I was approaching graduation, and I was one of four homeschool graduates at the homeschool convention that year in Virginia. And she wanted to talk to us about my future. And I had chosen to do a gap year. I really didn't want to go to college at all. My dad was a writer. I was like, I'll just study under you, dad. I've been editing for you for several summers. I don't see why I have to go. And they were like, well, 
they were still that mindset of you've got to prove yourself. We got to prove that this worked. And, you know, the grandparents were all right. like, you've got to get that degree. So this lady from the newspaper came and sat us down and she was, she was okay for the, like the first 20 minutes, but then she started getting really hostile and saying, I just think your parents have done you a disservice because how on earth will you know how to unlock a locker and put your things away? And I said, well, that's funny. You should ask because the college I'm interviewing for doesn't have any lockers, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure if I needed to use one, that's something I could figure out. I've, I've used yeah. locks and keys before. And she was like, well, oh, so, and then she started wanting to throw out other stuff like, well, you didn't go to a dance. I said, well, actually, my parents have hosted square dances and, and country dances. And I, I do all this kind of dance activity in my hometown. It's not like I don't know how to dress up and behave myself at a social function, you know, and I was a Girl Scout and I'd started naming all the things I had done in my community. I was a candy striper at the hospital for three years. I worked for Seton Home Study School. I ended up, I started as a file clerk, literally alphabetizing papers and ended up as the director's secretary by my senior year at high school. And she was, that kind of shut her up because she was like, oh, I think she had a picture in her head of us literally sequestered in our house and not going anywhere. And when we started naming all the activities and the clubs and the this and the that, she was like, oh, oh, okay. So yeah, there's, there's that. Well, I mean, that's, that's sort of the institutional bias that a lot of people have that if you don't do it this way, you're not going to be able to do do it. it. You're not going to be able to do it. No, people, people figure things out. And that's the one thing about homeschooling, which is so great is that um, you, you're, you're, no, you're not told that you're not supposed to do this unless you do it this way. So if you want to do it, you figure out you a figure way that out. you figure out how to do it. You learn. And, and now more than ever, it make, it's much easier for you to do that because you have a lot more tools yeah. in your toolbox than, than we had, you know, 30, 25 years ago, 30 years, 35 years ago. Yeah. yeah we're, we are that old actually. Yes. We it's are. 35, 45, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it is, it is shocking to me actually, because the, um, the, the amount of resources available now to homeschool. It's just, it's, in, it's insane. There's so much. Um, you both hit on something. Let me ask more specifically, did you guys then, even though you were homeschooled, did you have uh, regular, I'm using regular, but friends that were not homeschooled that were a part of your guys' life? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because there was okay. youth yeah. group, nobody else in our church was homeschooled. So we had, my mom and dad would host youth group parties all the time, okay. park game nights, board game nights. And I was in Girl Scouts. My brother was in soccer. He ended up team captain one year. So we knew a ton of kids across age ranges and different private school, public school experiences. So yeah, no, we had plenty of friends. That's Sorry, go ahead, Matt. Same here, because we, we, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I think is that we we played uh, high school sports at a, at a Christian school that was local. And so we had, we had friends through that and we went on class trips, senior trips and things like that. And so Matt's we, an Eagle Scout. So he did. And all I was that. in Boy Scouts. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I had that every week. So yeah, we were, we had lots of interaction. In fact, we had a lot more interaction with just normal, regular people because we didn't, we weren't stuck in a classroom. So for instance, I was interested in politics and got involved in a local Republican party uh, when it was very, very small in our county, because Alabama was very much a Democrat state up until, you know, the 90s, mid 90s. And so I, I, I think we had, I was the vice chairman, and we had the chairman, and I was like 17 years old. And then that was it. That was like, we could have our meetings in a phone booth. But it was fun, because I got me, I was exposed to a lot of uh, different candidates who would come down and visit. And so I learned a lot and met a lot of interesting people. Uh, who were involved, most people who were involved in politics at that grassroots level are much older. Uh, and a lot of them were veterans uh, from where uh, I was living. We had a lot of veterans living in the area. So I ended up meeting some fascinating people and making friendships of people who were many, many years older than me. I, I was going to funerals really early in my life. You know, it, 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 we're, we're, you and I are going to a lot of funerals yeah. these days because we're at that stage where the generation right above us is is heading is you know rounding third base and but when I was a teenager I was going to funerals of people that I knew uh, who have become not just mentors but real real friends uh, in in uh, uh, people in my life that I really learned a lot from and there's a proverb that talks about you know be a friend to your father's friend uh, and there's a reason for that I teach that to my children because your father's friends are advanced in in years, they have had their career under their belt. They, they have connections with people uh, that you don't have connections to. They can give you uh, a, a leg up. They can give you an advantage that 
friends in your own peer group cannot give you because they're, they're struggling just like you. They're still figuring things out. You have a generation above you. They figured out a whole lot and they're very, and I found that they're very willing to share and, and they just, but they're not asked very often uh, because we're not supposed to hang out with people and be friends with people outside of our, our peer group. Right. Because that's just weird, evidently, to a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting because we've talked about my wife and I've talked about this a lot, that the, the idea of community says so much about looking to others, knowing and acknowledging that we as parents probably can't do everything we wish we could do for our kids. We aren't designed to be able to. And so having a community of people that you can have your family participate and experience and live life is so critical. And it's been so neat to be able to sort of co-parent with our friends' kids, they come over and we, we've discussed with the families and, and you're pouring into each other's lives and your kids' lives. And it's, I love that aspect of seeing those relationships. It's, it's, yeah. it's yeah, it's amazing. Okay, so let me do something because I want to respect the time. I want to get to the middle. There's sort of like, uh, there's sort of like the, we were homeschooled, get through high school, college. There's a whole section in the middle with how you guys met, HSLDA, and, and there. What I want to do is jump to what life kind of looks like now. And then if we get time this time, I want to jump back to the middle. And, and part of it's because one of my big desires with the podcast is, is to really see people's authentic perspective about homeschooling now as parents, whether they are homeschooling, not homeschooling, whether the, when they look back, what do they see and what have they experienced and are there pros and cons that they, that they say, oh, I wish I would have known this, or I wish this. So I really want to kind of hear from you guys some of that. Sorry. So no, that's no problem. The shop phone ringer off. <laughs> there we go. It's off now. Well, that's the great thing about the podcast. They're easy to edit. So, yes. <laughs> so, so the, the first question would be, obviously, you guys are homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the things that you guys have brought from the way you were raised into what you're now doing with your kids. And then the follow-up as you're thinking about uh, that, uh, that is, are there things you said, you know what, we had this experience, but we don't really think that was necessarily beneficial. So we're going to avoid this. Not everybody has that, but. Right. Well, I mean, right off the bat, I knew I didn't want to do school in a box because mom had tried that. We'd been through the torment of that. And I said, we're going to, we're going to create something from the ground up. And it's not going to be highly cluttered because there was one homeschool conference I went to. This is probably 20 years ago, and, and it's it's got to be way worse now. The, the hall was so huge, and there were so many options, and there were moms walking around with tears in their eyes. Yeah, overwhelmed. Like, yeah. I can't pick. How, there's so, and, and this booth says, if I don't do it this way, my kids are going to be wrecked. And that one says, <laughs> throw that out and do this. Right. And they're like, how, where do you find it? And, I, and what I told people is my mom had three points that she would always make to people, just pare it down, stop thinking of the leaves and the trees and get to the roots. The root is teach them to read, teach them to think, teach them to communicate. That's it. If anyone can read and comprehend what they're reading and think about it, argue it in your head, go read a different source, get someone else's opinion, and then communicate back what you've learned from that. Or communicate it in a new format, make a movie about it, make a play, write a song, do something with what you've learned. And mom said, if you have that as just a root structure for your homeschooling, it can branch in any direction with every child in a different way. And that's what we found. Our oldest son being the firstborn, of course, was the one who wanted to get up and do everything by the book. And I've got my little plan laid out and I'm going to go through the writing and the grammar and everything. And so like model student, you know, reading at three and a half years old and Of course, he had my undivided attention at that point uh, and just really loved reading, voraciously read everything he could get his hands on. And I never really sat down with a writing curriculum to teach him how to write. I just said, look, here is how I learned to write. And it's by reading really good things and then do what Ben Franklin did and try to imitate someone's style. Rewrite a poem as prose, rewrite prose as a poem, play with it, do a lot of playing with your writing. Well, as a result, he has no college degree. He skipped college completely. He went and he taught himself computer programming languages and went into IT. But lo and behold, when he was um, dating his current wife, his mother, future mother-in-law said, you are a very good writer, but even better, you're a fantastic editor. I've noticed mm. when, you, when Ruby, his wife writes as well, and she's an illustrator for children's books and, and other things. 
And so he started playing around with some of her writing and she was like, wow, you're really good at this. My mom is an editor for a publishing house. You need to talk to her. So now what does he do? He coaches writers professionally and is able to work from home, do it on his own time. He lives in South Africa. Most of the writing writers he's helping are in Europe and America. And he's done all of that without going into a single penny of debt, without having to spend four years pursuing a college degree. And he's very happy and loves what he's doing. But he had the discipline to really pursue that. And he was like, I know what I want to do. And I know how to get there. Just give me the tools, which we did. Our second son is the one I would hit my head on the table and go, we need to send this kid to military school. I don't think I can take it. He and I would butt heads a lot about what he needed to learn and when he needed to learn it. And I do still have ideas of structure and you've got to get to this point at some point. And, and he wanted to try something completely different, which was doing um, vlogging and YouTube channels and streaming. And, it, and he's like 16 years old and we're in South Africa with cricket speed internet. And I was like, this, this is a crazy idea. And he was like, just let me try it. Just let me show you, I can do this. I really want to be a voice actor. And I want to help develop games that have a storyline where it's built around characters and this, the characters interact. And you're not just mindlessly playing. You've got to really think about the plot and stuff. And I was like, wow, okay. And then a friend of ours who had office space that our son could use said, you know what? Don't ride him so hard about this because this is the best time in life for him to fail. When he's 16, he's yep. at home with his parents. He has no obligations. Let him do it. And we were like, oh, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. So we we're like, well, okay, try it. Well, lo and behold, he's a voice actor. He's a game developer. He does, he streams. He does all kinds of stuff online, loves it, and has thanked us many, many times that we didn't push him down the road of you got to get a college degree. He was like, look, I, I know what I want to do. And, and he's flown to Berlin and recorded stuff. And he's he's been all over the place and he's done very, very well because he was able to take the branch of the tree he liked and flourish there and not have to do the whole tree. All right, I think I think getting sort of back to your original question, I mean, we there are homeschooling experience and I think you'll probably, I'm guessing you probably hear this a lot from, from uh, second generation homeschoolers is that they, they may not do anything like their, the, the, the pioneer phase, you know, cause you know, once, and think of it as a pioneer phase, because once you get past that pioneer generation, that's, that's settling in the plains or something. Now you have towns and cities Rose. now that you didn't have before. So your lifestyle is going to be a lot different. You know, you don't have to walk two miles to get fetch water anymore. You got right. you know, plumbing systems now set up. So, you know, you're, you're, you're not, you're, we don't, we don't have the same, um, baggage i guess the the established sort of the establishment baggage that our parents inherited they broke through that we broke through that and now we're taking it sort of homeschooling 2.0 uh now really using the technology but but broke but away from that mindset that we have to do things like this because right now uh as you as everyone well knows that we have a uh glut of degrees and not a lot of good sense, not a lot of educated people. Uh, right. The, the you know we, we're to, we're criticizing public schools now uh, for all of these va this values education um, va in quotes value there. And we're saying you know we need to get back to reading, writing, and arithmetic and things like that. Well, actually, that's not correct because reading, writing, and arithmetic is not an education. It's just the tools by which you acquire an education. So you don't just, you can't just teach a child to read without them reading. So what are they going to read? Well, what they read will communicate a worldview. It'll communicate, it'll provoke questions. And so there will always be values education. There's always going to be a, a, a philosophy or a way of life that you're communicating by just selecting the things for them to read or letting them select it themselves. That's going to shape who they are. So so you can't, there's no value neutrality here. So it's, it's pretty unreasonable to expect from a, a, a cookie cutter sort of factory education model that all they're going to do is teach the tools to get an education. No, you have to go beyond that in order for the child to receive an education. You just can't spend 18 years you know, reading uh, uh, you know, Dick and Jane books. You're going, you need to progress beyond that. And that means you have to start reading some really good stuff. Or if you're given some really bad stuff is happening today. A lot of parents are realizing, wow, our kids are give, being given garbage to read and we don't want that for them. And so the answer is not 
let's just don't read <laughs> or let's, we have to we have to actually read some good stuff and that does require uh, a values decision and so with homeschooling it's great because parents get to direct that they can direct what what type of worldview uh, they want their kids to be t- uh, trained in, and that's and how it, to engage with other worldviews so that you're able yeah, to it's, talk. It's, to it's not a one size fits fits all mm-hmm. thing. You can kind of, you can actually have a much broader um, experience. There's there's a quote that we have on the wall here at the coffee shop. Jenny may have shared with you. It's from G.K. Chesterton. I'm looking at it right now. It says, "The man who lives in a small community lives in a much larger world," and that came from one of his books where he talks and he goes on to say that if you're in a small community or if you're in a let's say you're in a big city you have the luxury of choice and you end up hanging out with people who are like Like you you. and because you have that you have a lot of people to choose from in a small town you don't have that choice you don't have that luxury you're kind of stuck with what you have and you have to make the most of it and so with homeschooling a lot of time you you do have to you, you you don't have that uh luxury of of you know the 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 50 teachers uh specializations in different areas in your school so that's one thing that drives a lot of homeschooling moms particularly crazy and why they were going through the the the, uh convention centers crying is because they feel like they have to be all of these things uh and they don't they don't have to be all these things don't try to compete against this division of labor that you have in a multi-billion dollar education system you're not going to be able to do that you're just going to burn yourself out but you can you can, uh, though, take advantage of the, uh, the people in your own community, and you'll be shocked at how many people, just in a homeschool co-op, the, the level of talent that you find, uh, whether it's in art, whether it's in sciences, it is fascinating what, what people know just in your neighborhood, and you can, you can take advantage of that when you're not, uh, support, when you're not forced to comply with this uh, curriculum mandate that's been imposed by a bureaucrat in the, no in, the, in the state capital who probably doesn't have any kids who's doing this to you. So I think when we lived in a, a small village in South Africa, we were shocked at how much was available to our children in this little bitty rural community. There was everything from horseback riding to art lessons to swimming classes to pottery, pottery acting, acting every it was just and it what it was you had all of these people a lot of retirees who had their careers and now they were doing these class offering these classes and events in order to supplement their incomes right and so our kids were able to do amazing things and just without with within walking distance of our home so that's something that that uh you can take advantage of uh, in homeschooling. Uh, but anyway, I may have gone down a bunny trail. No, it's, it's, it's fascinating because you've hit on all these other things I'd love to get into at some point because I, I think it's just which every time you talk about homeschooling or almost anything in this matter, I guess, you keep finding these, these little, ooh, this would be fascinating. Ooh, I want to hear more about that. So I make notes because at some point I want to come back either now or another time and Hey, you mentioned something here. I want to hear more about that. So mm-hmm. I, you, you've actually hit on one of the topics that, that started some of, of me processing back through the homeschooling experience I had, which was I began to look at the burden I was seeing that most of the moms were carrying. And it was deeply concerning. And I hadn't really processed this through, but in my early 20s, at least I hadn't. But later on, I began to look back and go... I'm seeing something here that that worries me and I'm seeing it over and over and over. Why is nobody talking about this burden that these moms are carrying around if they're choosing to homeschool? And it's not that all of them are, um, but that to me was a very, very serious concern. And I felt like a lot of the homeschool community didn't wanna, didn't wanna always acknowledge some of the things out there that I think might be a negative. And I think a lot of it's because they, they, the community spent so much time being told, you're doing something that's stupid. You're going to screw up. You're like, it was negative for so long that there was a, a real sensitivity to hearing something that was maybe negative, but could have also been fantastic to have an open, honest dialogue about. So a lot of my desire for the podcast is hearing what's being said and having those opportunities for people to say, Hey, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. This concerned me a little bit. And here's how we kind of look at that. And here's what we do sure. with that. And, um, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of rabbit trails and 
Yeah. One of the things that, that uh, Jenny's dad was asked uh, when they were directors of um, the home educators of Virginia is that what is the, what's the danger of homeschooling? What, what, and this is back in the eighties. Mm -hmm. And he said that, and he, it was very prophetic when you look back, because he said the, the biggest danger is pride and arrogance. Because as you said, Matt, that, that when you're, you're, you're told you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't, do, your kids are going to be screwed up, whatever. And then they actually succeed, or you actually do, you see examples of kids going to Harvard or doing well, which what we saw, and that was sort of our idol, why these kids got into Harvard. Um, then because you feel isolated a lot of times, uh, you, there's this temptation to think, to idolize your family, to idolize homeschooling the way you did it the way you, or 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 just to think that you don't need anybody mm -hmm. that you don't need right. a community yeah um and so you, you a lot of people will isolate themselves you know they're back in the 90s you saw this uh early 90s particularly you saw a lot of home churches because a lot of parents who were homeschooling just didn't have a lot in common with the majority who were not doing it and so they right. ended up kind of ghettoizing themselves into mm -hmm these small uh, little house churches or mall churches or whatever to where they yep. could hang out with families that are just like them. Um, and uh, that, and thinking that, that they only need them their, themselves, that they can do it all. And so that's why you had a lot of burnout yeah. uh, in, in homeschooling, because right. quite frankly, you can't do it all and you're not supposed right. to do it all. That's why God put us into communities. That's why we have churches. We need help. We need help. And one of the things when we left South Africa, uh, we left this, we lived in a little village where our kids had access to a, a real community that did invest in people that did invest in their lives in different ways. And we uh, had a little village newspaper and I wrote an article as we left, it ended up as being the front page of their, their, uh, the, the little newspaper. And the article title was, it takes a village. Now that, that is heresy. <laughs> That is heresy in homeschooling. You know, it's like, no, it doesn't it just yes. takes parents. It takes dedicated parents. And no, no, it. And I, I understood what I was trying to communicate in that article is like, no, we have communities, real communities. We need real communities. We're not meant to carry the burden of life and its concerns on our, sho our shoulders. We have a team and, and we need to uh, be a team. And it doesn't mean, you know, it, it doesn't mean it the way Hillary Clinton might mean it, right? When she wrote the book, It Takes a Village. But it does really take a village uh, and a community uh, to, to help you throughout your life. I'm looking back and thinking back of all the people, think back all the people that helped you in your life, whether it's college professors or teachers or, or uh, neighbors or, um, you know, pastors or whatever it is, people in your life who who taught you certain values, taught you certain lessons that you, that you look back now and realize that was, in, that was amazing. I really needed that in my life at that time. Mm -hmm. Well, and it didn't come from your nuclear family. It came from other people. It came from your community, the people you were around. And so that, yeah. that's really something that still remains, I think, especially in the internet age, when you do have access to so many things, to think that you can, you can provide everything your child needs, you can provide everything that you need, no, you, you, you still need real relationships. Yeah. Social media is antisocial. You know, you really need, you need real friends, not Facebook friends. You need real friends. Um, and preferably those who, who, who are not just like you. Mm -hmm. Right. Africa kind of taught us that because we got thrown into the deep end in, in, in a huge city, Nairobi, where sure there were a lot of expats but there was nobody like us we did eventually find one other homeschooling family that were missionaries but for the most part you realize wow the world is way bigger and the church is way bigger than we thought and we yep. we can't we don't have the luxury of holding ourselves off in a little corner with like-minded people because there really aren't any so we've got to learn to be friends across all kinds of tribal divides and language barriers and church you know, our denomination didn't even exist over there. So we were like, wow, okay, well, I guess we just go wherever there's English, right. you know, because we don't speak Peaceful at this point. And, and then moving to South Africa, kind of the same thing. It's, it's just a shift to a different culture. Their culture is, has very strong English and Dutch background, but then you've got the whole wonderful Afrikaans community that's very close knit. 
and you got to learn to navigate all those relationships all over again. And I think it makes better people of us, but it really kind of humbled us and showed us that we, we thought we were pretty broad-minded and welcoming of people, but we learned very quickly that actually we liked to hole up in a corner with people like ourselves and mm -hmm. we had to get over that. Yeah. And it's so good. I, it's, and it, it's back to kind of what you were saying earlier that you have to not think of education as something that's so linear. It's not just this learn to read, learn to write, learn to do math or whatever, that, that, that education is much more about our experience as people being able to function, contribute, join society, friendships, you know, spiritual relationships, and you're not learning that in the classroom. Whereas what you just described to me sounds like a true education of the, these relationships you had and experiences you have that those are not in a book. These are things that you went out and lived and, and that to me is, that's cool. That's neat. And when you look at the culture around us right now, I don't know about where you live, but down here, there is a crisis of not being able to find good workers. Every single restaurant is constantly hiring because people come in and they stay two days and then leave, or they come for a week and then they get bored and leave. And my kids are like considered gold in this town because they go in, they work yep. really hard. They, yep. my, my seven, no, now 18 year old daughter, uh, started out washing dishes at the cafe across the street, the Italian cafe. And when I first took her in for her interview, they were like, well, what work experience do you have? And she said, well, I grew up in Africa, so I don't really have an American work experience I can tell you about, but I have grown up in a family with 12 kids and I'm really good at dishes. And I was like, yeah, she's right. my best dishwasher. They were so skeptical <laughs> about that. They're like, yeah, whatever. I've well, washed dishes for 20 years. Yeah, Trust exactly. me, I know what I'm doing. With an for an army. Yeah. And, and, for an army. And, and so now she's, she's, you know. But she's like become the right hand of the owner who yeah. has her doing food prep and fetching this and that. And, yeah. and Felicity said, my whole goal with what I do is that prior to hiring her, the owner wasn't getting home until like three in the morning because she had to wait until the kitchen was spanking clean to start the next day's dough for yeah. pastries and stuff. And so Felicity said that I just don't accept that. I want to get it spanking clean by 11 o'clock at night. So she is back home and gets a decent night's sleep. And that's, that's the way it runs now. And she's, she's in there just like mush, mush. Everybody's well, well, got to move. And it's, this sort of goes into what I, I was thinking of when you're talking about that, that the, the problem with a classroom environment, a lot of times you're just there to receive, right? Mm -hmm. You're just a sponge to receive and regurgitate, but, but you really have an opportunity in the homeschooling worldview and community to act, for your kids to actually give, not just receive, but to contribute. Yeah. And when kids contribute, it helps form their identity of who they are. We have an identity crisis today uh, where kids just don't know what they're supposed to do. They're, they've been stuck in this sort of this, this track and they're supposed to you know, get an education then go off to college. So they're under all this pressure to tick these boxes. And then when they right. get out of college and they're $120,000 in debt and they, they don't have a job and they're, they're just, there's a cri they're a crisis. They can't afford to start a family. They can't buy a house. They can't do any of this stuff. But if they've been uh, throughout their, their childhood contributing, not just in a family environment, but in the community where they're participating in uh, community uh, events, whether it's cleaning up the neighborhood, whether it's uh, helping somebody move, Whatever it is, um, they're contributing to the life of their, their community. They're forming their identity. They're building their self-confidence. And we have a real shortage of that uh, today, uh, a real crisis in, in effect, uh, particularly in the last uh, two years because of the isolation that people have undergone, particularly kids. Uh, there's, there's, uh, we get a lot of doctors who come into the coffee shop, and one of them is a pediatrician, and he's He's just, he's really depressed with what he sees coming into his office. Kids with every, every condition imaginable increasing, whether it's childhood obesity, whether wow. it's depression, everything is going up in the last two years. It's gone, it's gone through the, yes, it's yeah. just incredible. That, and so now more than ever, uh, kids need to, to feel like they belong and, and to, uh, and, and the way they do that, I think is, is having opportunities to serve and to be vital somewhere, to be, be an important part somewhere. Uh, and that, that uh, with homeschooling, you have the, the ability to, to do that. You have more, it doesn't mean you can't do it in any, any other context. It just means you have occasion. 
uh, to, to do that. You can seek out those people in your community and you'll be shocked at how it, who's around you who, who can uh, contribute to, to your life and who, you, who your contribution can dramatically improve somebody's life. We had this discussion in our, the youth ministry at our church years ago that one of the fundamental things missing was teaching these kids what it is to belong to the body of Christ. That, that you almost treat kids, and this is similar to what you're saying with education, you almost treat kids like you have to do these things, you have to accomplish these tasks, and if you do all of that, you're going to be able to figure out your identity and where you belong, Right. which is insanity because you're telling these kids you don't belong, you don't belong. Unless you do all these things, you, you're not going to have a place, and so I, I love what you're saying because I think that is critical, is showing them that you, you do belong and either on a spiritual or if you're talking educational community, there has to be that identity. And that was part of the core of communities the last hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, well, thousands of years, biblical communities, you belonged. And that meant something very special. And uh, it was humbling because right. the, the vulnerabilities, the weaknesses were there in front of the community along with the strengths. So it, it, it could be very challenging to have all that going on, but Right. Yeah. What an, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to have communities more like that actually. So, yeah. and, and you know what, you don't have to start your own business to get your kids involved in the community. We did. And I, and this coffee shop was our kids idea. Our oldest teenagers wanted to do this. They came up with the budget, the, the, all the things we were going to need to start it. They helped me find the space downtown and they helped us raise the money on Kickstarter that this was their baby, even though it's technically my coffee shop legally. Uh, and four of them work here part-time one works full-time and then the younger ones who aren't just now on the legal cusp of being able to work part-time are they're in here like let me do the dishes let me clear the tables and what they love yep. the most is interacting with the customers in the shop yep. and we yep. have seen their confidence just skyrocket because it's not just ringing up groceries and nothing wrong with that but they, they see the person at the till and they're like yep. oh how was your day are you from enterprise um, and then they get into a little chat with them about stuff. And we get all five-star reviews mostly because people say, I feel like they're family. Like they care about me. They remember my name, my favorite drink. Well, you can really focus on that when you just teach your kids to be around people. You have people into your home. You give them opportunities to serve through the church. It becomes second nature. It becomes a part of their identity from a very early age. Of, And we said years ago when our kids were babies, that our family motto was going to be the Latin word Ali, which means others. Our focus as a family is on other people. How do we help other people? How do we bring people into our family circle who maybe don't have family? What are the elderly around us? The guy with cancer next door. Can we go sing? Mm, yeah. uh, the family across the street that the, the it's a great, great, great grandmother who's raising her great, great, great grandson. Um, his parents are both wow. dead and he's like, our house is his second home. This is something we just really have to put a focus on. Don't retreat from the world. Don't hide behind your walls, mm -hmm. especially now, because I really feel like everybody's so divided. Well, that was the big shock coming back to the States. I prepared my kids for culture shock, but I did not prepare myself. And the how, wait, how, how long have you guys been back? We've been back three years now. It'll be almost four, oh, four in yeah. August. Yeah, almost wow. yeah, almost four years. But yeah. I've been out okay. for eight solid years. And, you know, we basically you don't pay much attention to the American politics because you've really got to focus on what you're doing in your little village in Africa. You just don't have brain space for all that. You know, we were like, oh, OK, Trump's running for office. Big whoop. You know, nobody really even thought about it. Right. So to come back and when we left, kids were still on bikes and climbing trees and talking to their neighbors and, and to come back, it felt like we'd just been dropped off on Mars. It was so bizarre yeah. how divided people were, the politics, the religion, that everything was so drastically different that I went through a struggle of readapting myself to American life. And I thought, and then of course the pandemic hits and they start shutting everything down and businesses here are struggling to stay alive. And we're like, how do we help? How do, there's got to be a way to fix this that means people can maintain their businesses and not lose things. And, and we said, we've got to be in a small community. We can't be in a big city. We've got to be in a small community where you can really reach out and touch a lot of people. And then we got to get our kids involved. You go mow Mr. So-and-so's lawn and you run, you know, a pot of soup over to somebody else and, and let's see what we can do downtown. And that's, that's been a game changer for us. I love what you're describing. Cause I, I love 
the small community life. So I, as you're describing this, I, we don't have, I'm in middle Tennessee. So it, we love it. It's, it's just become too big. And there's so many people moving here that even in the time we've been here, it's changed so drastically. And I'm longing That's, for that smaller community already. So my wife and I are already massive, talking about there's been a massive migration. In fact, if the census had been delayed a year or so, you'd oh. probably see a, a much greater shift because people are, are fleeing the big cities wherever you go. Yep. Um, they're trying to go back to these smaller, smaller uh, communities, their hometowns like we did uh, yep. and, and uh, trying to, you know, sort of bloom where they're planted in those, those areas because they can, they can really feel like they're making a difference and, yeah. and yep. go where they're needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't want to be, we don't want to be, yeah. It's, it's easy to be invisible in, in, yes. when, right. when, and I'm in, I'm in the building industry. So even sharper back to your comment about finding good uh, labor, good help. It's mm-hmm. a massive issue, just a massive issue. So anyways, because um, I want to respect the time, just in the minutes remaining, one of the things that I'd love to know is what are you guys doing professionally? Matt, I don't know what you're doing actually compared to, I have the book, I know the direction you were going, but part of what's exciting for me is what's going on now. And then, and Jenny, I know you were doing and probably still are the sensibility Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're still doing all this. So if you could share just what are some of those things that you guys are involved with on those levels too? Sounds yeah, like there's well, a lot. That's the other funny irony is that I, I got my degree in as an English major and I was planning on writing children's books. And instead I started using the skills my mom had taught me in being a seamstress and designing patterns. Cause I learned to do that as a teenager. I didn't like anything that was in fashion. So I wanted to dress like Anna Green Gables. I made my own clothes. Mom taught me how to do it. And when I went away to college, they called me the Ann girl because I dressed very Edwardian and they wanted me okay. to sew for them. I did sewing classes when I was in college but I never really thought of it as a career path. I was just like, well, I wanna get married to have kids and I wanna homeschool. That would be something cool I could do on the side. And then when I got married, a friend of mine said, you're, you're, you just gotta do this. You have to start a sewing business and I will make your first catalog and we can round up models and we'll do this. So it's actually Jamie Ferris, Mike Ferris's daughter. Did I my- remember Jamie, catalog. okay, yep. Yeah. So um, that just exploded. And what I found is I had a lot of girls saying, I love this. I love that you sell things that I would want to buy and wear, but I would really like to learn to sew it myself can you offer the pattern? And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have a degree in fashion design. You know, I, I was still in that mindset of I've got to have the career track that shows I'm qualified to do this. Right. Yeah. And, and then to these two sisters, well, you probably know, know them too. They uh, played harp and they said, we need clothing to wear to our harp concerts. And, but we know how to sew and we love the Regency era, the Jane Austen look, and we know you're sewing those, but could you just please put out a pattern for a really basic Regency gown. And I was like, oh, look, I don't have a degree in that. I, I just don't. I, and they said, please just try and write the instructions as if we are dummies who know nothing about sewing, but do it in a friendly way. And I was like, wow, okay. That's kind of a strange order, but I tried. I thought, okay, fine. I'll put out one pattern. That'll be, that'll be it. I'll just do the one pattern. Well, 27 patterns later, I have my own pattern company. It's been running for 26 years now. Um, it's, I've been traveled all over Europe with tour groups, wearing clothes made from my patterns. We've gone to Jane Austen festivals. We've gone to all over different museum collections in the UK and Austria and France, looking at historical clothing. I've held Queen Victoria's dancing shoes from when she was a teenager, uh, in the meeting of London. There's just, it opened a whole new world. And the comment that I kept getting was, ah, finally somebody to hold my hand and explain what the big companies don't think needs to be explained, but I need to know it. And then, then they're like, please put up a YouTube channel and make videos and explain it. And so I just, you know, when the kids were napping, I would start doing that. I'd film a little segment on how to do this specific step and stick it on YouTube. And, and my website's still there and still going. I'm not quite as actively focused on it right now because travel shut down for two years. So there went all my overseas trips and all the events shut down. So there were no balls to go to and no, you know, Jane Austen literary conferences to go to. So I really, that's when I drew back and focused on where we are now. What does this little town need that we live in? And it didn't have a downtown coffee shop. And we know coffee because we lived in Africa among the coffee fields. We were part owners of a coffee shop in South Africa. Our kids all loved it. And they're like, this is what we have to do. And they came up with the business plan. And so we are sitting in our beautiful 400 square foot hometown coffee shop. And it's, it's, busy, busy. 
And we have just a wonderful time running it with our kids. And so that's, and I'm homeschooling still, you know, I've got nine at home still, three are grown and gone. And, uh, and our days kind of have a structure, but a lot of times it's like all hands on deck at the coffee shop. Okay, you finish reading with your brother and you help him with his handwriting. And I'm going to run up and help dad real quick, you know? So it's kind of crazy, but we love it. That's fantastic. In my, uh, my career uh, has been... Uh, <laughs> anything but orthodox but um the the thing that's been been consistently getting greater and greater in my life has been the the uh, humanitarian side because 25 years ago i was asked to serve on the board of directors of a new organization that was incorporating called the persecution project which was helping the act uh, the persecuted church in uh, the nation of sudan uh, because during that time in the 90s, late oh. 90s, the genocide going on. Many people have heard of the Darfur genocide that was taking yeah. place. So I was on the board of directors of this organization and then made the mistake, in quotes, of going to Sudan in 2005 and then sort of just got the bug and kept going okay. back o- over and over again. So we do safe water projects, relief and shelter, medical projects, working specifically with the indigenous church in these countries uh, because the church there is the essentially the social safety net it provides all of the social services for a community as well as the spiritual services so we we get behind the pastors we find we see local pastors that are doing some great work and we get behind them and support them in what they do so i've been doing that now this is uh my uh 22nd year uh doing this work and my my role has gradually shifted as the the older i get i'm going less into the field for project management stuff and focusing on development um donor relations and we 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 have support from you know thousands of people all all across the country uh everything from small churches to you know individuals and and some larger larger organizations that like what we do and want to uh, support our projects so that's sort of my, my, my role has moved more into uh, the development side and less in, uh, in the actual project management side. So that's been my, my that the, the thumbnail or the, the brief um, uh, sketch of, of where my career has taken me. Yeah, to try to summarize 25, 30 years. Oh, a, a couple, I know there's the brain. Sort of goes. I make coffee in the morning because I'm here. I'm the early riser. So I come right. and open the shop in the morning. So it's six o'clock in the morning. I'm, I'm brewing coffee and, and making espresso. So uh, yeah, that's, but about nine 30, I, I, the kids come in and take over and I can go on to the real job. <laughs> oh, and we that's both just started serving on downtown boards. So I'm on, there's a, there's an organization nationally called main street that revitalizes downtowns. It helps people revitalize their downtowns. And Main Street, Alabama nominated our town to become a Main Street town. And oh, cool. Yeah, that was like five years ago. And so I got nominated to be on the board for Main Street uh, Enterprise. And I head the promotions committee. So that's like getting ready for events and helping people notice our downtown. And that is on the board of Debo, which is the Downtown Enterprise Business Association. So that's all the business owners on Main Street. So, yeah, you know, we just, we're typical homeschoolers. You, you guys just are so boring. You all, yeah, you get so boring. Uh, you, you know that that's saying you only give a busy person something to do because yeah. there's a reason why they're busy um right. and that's yeah. there's all there's so many opportunities to serve and mm-hmm. and uh, yeah there's there's always a shortage of, of volunteers for yeah we just had our first um, easter parade down here because it was my idea i was like guys easter parade happens in new york city every year but there isn't one in a southern city and there is an easter hat contest every year at our farmer's market so why can't we bring the hat contest downtown when when we block the street for string fest put everybody up on a stage have you know kids and grandparents and everybody and then we'll have an easter parade where everybody gets to show off their hats my oldest daughter and my 14 year old puppeteer son volunteered to help people make their hats and people made the craziest most amazing hats with like bunnies coming out and that's fantastic and then people, you know, got to yeah. show them off and win great prizes. And it was really fun. It was, it was just fantastic. There's so many opportunities. And, and that's the one thing that we've really enjoyed coming back home to a small town. And, and it's just, yeah, it's a much larger world. And, and, uh, but we know that instinctively with homeschooling, uh, you think you're, you're told one thing that your kids are going to be stunted, but actually their, their horizons are, are broadened and, and, uh, they have many, many more opportunities than you realize to, to be served and to also more importantly serve others. Yeah, the problem becomes choosing because then they're like, wow, I could totally like our one of our 15 year old twins loves, loves, loves history, particularly military history. 
He's very big into tanks and airplanes like my late father was. And we've given him all the books and he's read things and he's watched historians and he's done so much research on his own. And there happens to be a collector about an hour from us who's got four warehouses full of airplanes, tanks, Jeeps. Um, oh, wow. He's got the original cabin off the Lexington. I and mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff in this warehouse. And Patrick was like, oh, oh, I would just die to be the curator of that collection and tell people about it. And But then at the other end of the spectrum, he's like, I really like to get my hands in helicopter engines and airplane engines. And we're like, okay, well, you got to start out kind of basic with like car engines and go from there. So he's now got an opportunity to work with a guy who comes to our coffee shop, happens to work on old cars at home. And he's like, yeah, sure. He can come help me. He'll learn on the job and I'll, I'll pay him in tools. And then from there, he can go on into aircraft maintenance if he wants to do that or join the military or there's just so many, he's like, wow, there's so many things I could do. And we're like, just one thing at a time, start something now, get your hands dirty and see if you like it. And then, you know, next step after that. That's the advice I wish I didn't get that advice when I was in high school. I wish I had, cause I did five years of junior college, even though I was homeschooled the whole time looking for what am I supposed to do? But I think if somebody had come along in my early teens and said that, Hey, pursue this, look at, ironically, I used to love drawing house designs. That was my I just like doing, I buy these huge sheets of graph paper and I would design houses for fun when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. Ironically, after all this, I'm actually doing that, mm -hmm. but I would have never in a million years thought of that. And nobody ever said, hey, you love doing that. You should really look at pursuing that. And so I love what you guys are talking about because there's just that idea of, hey, don't think narrowly. Right. God, isn't, God isn't designed us to be this way. Don't think that way. It's it's anything you can imagine. Pursue what it is. Just pursue it. You know, uh, I think with integrity. You know, yeah, but pursue it. Try this out and see what God does with it. That's so cool. And then and, and don't be afraid to fail. Fall on your yeah. face and get back up and try something different if you don't want to do that. That's yeah. that's always a possibility. And it's a guarantee. <laughs> people want to want to help you. Yeah. And you, you're going to get help. We would not have this coffee shop without friends. Yeah, that's you know, the truth. most of the people who contributed heavily to this campaign were not strangers. Yeah, they're friends, friends, family, people that, that, lo that loved us and said, hey, we we're we're we see your vision. We want to back it because, you know, the world needs that the world needs what you want to give it. And so we're going to help you. And so that and you'll fight, you'll be surprised at just how many people um, that, that are like that. And just think of yourself, you know, when you see somebody who's excelling in their work and you're like, what can I do to help you? I want to, because that's somebody that, especially if they're a young person, <clears throat> you want to give them uh, the opportunities. If you can provide it, you're going to give it to them. If you're in construction. You have somebody <clears throat> in your circle that you know that's interested in that. <clears throat> Obviously, you're the one who you can contribute something substantial into their lives and you're going to do it because somebody did it for you. Mm -hmm. And it's so much fun. I, I love it. I love being able to pour into the younger generations as they're looking at something like that. To me, that's, that's a blast. Well, guys, thank you so much. I want to respect the time to make sure you can get off to the other things you have. Great. Fantastic. Well, have a wonderful evening. Thank you guys. Appreciate it so much. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.